Hello and welcome to the L&D Challenges podcast series. Adam here as your host and today I'm joined by Brittany Chamberlain. He's been in the L&D industry for more than 15 years and in this time she's developed and launched over 500 training courses. She's built more than 10 onboarding programs and revamped a similar number of new higher training programs as well. So I think you're actually beating me. Brittany at the moment in number of courses created. I can't claim to be close to 500 yet. It's fantastic to have you here. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Brilliant. Well, let's get straight into it. I'd like you to give us a bit of context and background and maybe talk us through some of the areas of training or learning and development that you've most recently been involved in. Yeah, my most recent venture, I was revamping a new hire program that the company already had. And we also were working on, they had a program for up-leveling talent. So they were constantly getting education throughout the year and getting ready for their next role or level. And we built a like learning library that had objective summaries and links to LinkedIn courses. And they could use that time two hours a week. When I did a revamp on it, actually, we received over, I think it was 15% improvement and engagement in the program within just 12 weeks. So that was super exciting as well. And we were actually revamping other teams training programs and building knowledge bases. So we were doing quite a bit. (laughs) Oh, brilliant. And were you just using LinkedIn or were there other resources you were pulling into that? I guess LinkedIn is a very broad library. So you've probably got quite a big coverage there. Yeah, we for that specific program, we like to use LinkedIn Learning just because there's over like 35,000 videos and we start out with beginner level and build to intermediate, advanced, etc. Outside of that, if we did workshops or learning workshops, we did TED Talks, podcasts, different media venues. Very cool. Glad to hear podcasts are in there. That's that's great news. And were you kind of designing pathways for for these these users? What was the revamp basically? Was it was it like a marketing and communications revamp, or was it a revamp of the structure of how people kind of consume the learning? Yeah. So for the pathing program, it was a mix. But at the very beginning, what we actually looked at for the business is what do learners need to know to succeed within our business versus anywhere. We did look at a business industry standard as well, but what we did there is how we measured impact was if they just moved to their next level, what would they need to be successful in that level? And so what we did is, or what I did is looked at job descriptions. I talked to leaders, what systems do they need to know? What items are they experiencing dealing with our merchants? Is it difficult conversations? Is it critical thinking? And we started diving in and building that pathway for them. Very cool. Very cool. So that's some really interesting things. So let's let's chat about a bit more about learner engagement because that's kind of on my mind and one of the themes of this this podcast series. So how do you think about in- engagement and and how do you kind of try and facilitate, improve, increase? What's your kind of methodology or thoughts around that? And any any practical examples you have on top of the ones you've already given would be amazing. Yeah. So to me, there are types of learner engagement and there's millions of definitions of learning engagement or learner engagement. And to me, it's not just somebody being there in a seat virtually or in person, but it's, are they engaged in the content? Are they motivated and inspired and willing to invest effort in learning? 
but also with the types of learner engagement is more of cognitive, emotional, behavioral, social, and even cultural at that point. And so what I look at is when I'm teaching something or my team is teaching something, it makes sense to us because we had time to learn it or we may be a pro in that area, but does it really make sense to our audience? And I also involve DEI, I'm very passionate about it. I think it should be number one in training. Yeah. But, you know, we have diverse audiences, different experiences, different ages, et cetera. And so I, when I create content, I really want to make sure that all types of learning engagement is involved. So everybody is getting a very similar experience in class. Okay, cool, cool. And um, what does that look like in practice when you're putting something like that together? Yeah, so once we analyze what the content actually is or how difficult it is or how long the training sessions will be, then we go to like the drawing board, which is like our parking lot document. And we just, I like to build a smart kind of proposal. What are we measuring? What do we want to retain? What's the time? What's the audience, et cetera. And once we build that out, and it doesn't have to be formal. I just tell them to do bullet points. Then it's like, what do we want this to actually look like? Is it a PowerPoint? Is it a live demo? Is it a workshop? Or is it more just a conversation with your audience? I also like to do activities, but different types, not just the typical, I'm going to ask a question and you answer. I like to do games. Like we had a buzzer game where a team had a buzzer and I would ask a question. They would have to buzz in and have 30 seconds to answer it. Um, so yeah, we would do who wants to be a millionaire, family feud. And also what I also learned in class quite a bit is the amount of adults that are very competitive and how the learner engagement skyrockets when you involve fun games and activities with the audience and also engaging with them, having conversations and treating them like human beings and not just a student. Yeah, so I guess you're kind of choosing your delivery method based on what's most appropriate for that topic in a lot of ways, yeah? Correct, yeah. I've had some training requests where it could have been an email with maybe a revamped document or LMS system that we have to revamp that. If it's my rule of thumb is if we're going to be speaking for over 15 minutes, it should be a training at that point. If it's if I'm writing an email that's paragraphs and paragraphs long of what to do and where to go, that to me yeah. should be a training. But if it's just a, hey, we noticed this trend, here's the policy, here's some tips and tricks. To me, more that's a communication and a documentation creation. But once we get into more deep conversation and policies, I always vote for training. And then we look at, again, what's going to be better for the audience? Is it we do a PowerPoint? Is it a live demo? Guest speakers? What will be the best approach based off the content? Yeah, and I guess a little bit, you're kind of your audience. Where are they? How do you, these, are these people that are on the road all the time? So do you need to, do you need a digital intervention or are they in an office so you can get them all together quite easily? That kind of stuff. And I bet things changed a bit over over COVID around, around your delivery there. Yes. Yeah. COVID has changed a lot. So at my last employer, we did it basically virtual. We did a few things in office, but we never made anybody come in just because of COVID and people feeling comfortable. So we've held workshops in person, learning seminars, even cultural DEI topics too, of talking about different races and ethnicities and how do we promote allyship and work. And even the leadership development courses as well. So primarily, though, virtual and the way we focused on our audience, again, it depends on the content. So if we're focusing on a trend, we would pull a report of who is basically doing this trend or a mistake on multiple occasions 
versus if somebody has just done it once, they may not need to go into a training for that, right? For leadership development, I always vote all leaders, no matter what skill set you have to come in, because you can add color to the conversation and also help me educate other leaders in the room as well. Very cool. So yeah, you're saying uh, the a phrase that I use quite a lot at the moment or hear quite a bit, not just courses, but resources. So you're, like you said, the policy documents, quick email, updating a PDF, that's, that's a kind of just-in-time resource for somebody versus when it gets to a certain length, then that converts into a training intervention of some sort, digital, in-person, or or what's the other kind of things I'm thinking of? Yeah, well, no, digital in-person, I guess, I think too. So let's talk a bit about impact, because I think you've got some, or we've done some really interesting things here based on the conversation we had before we started recording. It's impact super important in any learning intervention. So how are you, or how have you measured impact in the in, in the past? And I guess kind of further question is, if you've been teaching softer skills like leadership or DEI, that kind of stuff, how have you measured the impact of those interventions? Because let's be honest, they're really difficult. It's really difficult to measure that. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a few things that I do to measure impact and success of trainings. And I really am fond of the Kirkpatrick model and the four levels of learning, but also the way that this model analyzes data. And with the Kirkpatrick model, the four levels, level one would be reaction, the next level is learning, the next level is behavior, and then the last level is results. And what we're doing with each level is making the training favorable and engaging. That's the first level is that reaction. What is the audience going to react to when a facilitator is doing their job and putting on a show and educating their audience? And then the level three is really important. It's the behavior. So after we train, how are they adapting to what we just trained them? How are they behaving with that material? Do they understand it? Even on a critical thinking lens, because a lot of policies at my last employer were not just black and white, not straightforward. There were curveballs there. And so we had to also train them on thinking appropriate questions to ask, et cetera. And then the last level, of course, is results. So analyzing that data and that measures the impact as well. And so with that, I always believe when you do a training to look at data weekly, but the major milestones with Kirkpatrick are the 30 and 60, 90 days after training. By 90 days, everybody, the audience that was trained should be able to perform at an efficient standard. Depending again on the difficulty level, it's something small, they should get in a week or two, but if it's something major and very technical and difficult, it could take an audience up to 90 days to perform without additional assistance. Got you, and how are you actually, or how? what's your recommendation in terms of collecting those data points are we talking surveys are you looking at kpi data within the business where you grab those data points from yeah so i actually do multiple avenues so one is surveys and i do different surveys so i do ones with the audience and asking them how they felt immediately after the training but two weeks after i send a follow-up like does it make sense to you are you still confused do you do our resources make sense and i also touch base with leadership because sometimes they are not on the same page. Sometimes a representative thinks they're performing great, but the leader's like, absolutely not. There's some areas of opportunity there or vice versa. So I like to check in with both. And I also um, partner with the quality assurance team or audit team. They're named different team names on the business, but I usually partner with them closely to look at data from their standpoint as well. 
So those are my three main avenues, but I do have a few others depending on the content as well, which would be stakeholder also looking at assessment scores as well. I may give an assessment if the material is difficult. So it's multiple avenues to determine success for me, which I recommend just because with learning, if you just pull one singular report, you could be missing other key data that you're looking for. Yeah, so you're using a mix of qualitative and quantitative results from uh, i guess a yeah a variety of data points which is which is interesting and pulling that together into depending on the level that you're doing into a kind of a summary of some sort very cool this podcast is brought to you by assemble you the audio learning specialists adam here co-founder of assemble you my cousin rich and i started assemble you in 2022 after finding we were doing a lot of our own personal development using podcasts and audiobooks We loved audio as a format and wanted to combine the convenience of listening to something with formal, outcome-driven learning that had real impact. The result is a power skills library that helps coach and guide listeners through critical topics like leadership, mental health, well-being, productivity, growth, sustainability, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Each Assemble You audio lesson is succinct and backed by research and real-life experience. They all include additional learning aids, including downloadable keypoint infographics, further reading lists, and testing. Listen to some free samples or find out more about how AssembleU can support your bespoke audio requirements by visiting assembleu.com. In terms of Kirkpatrick measuring 30, 60, 90, obviously, if you are, if you do a, there's a learning intervention, they have a great in-person session, really engaged. But then 90 days later, how do you ensure that learning kind of pull through and follow through? Are you running multiple sessions for a lot of these things? Or are you providing online digital resources to supplement? What's your kind of view on how best to embed the learning over that period? Yeah, absolutely. So in class, I usually do some sort of gamer activity and a small quiz to see like, do you even understand what we just discussed? Yeah. And I love doing open note because if you just learn something, there's no way that everybody can memorize it within a 30 minute or an hour training session. So I always say open note, open resource, but I really am a huge fan of knowledge bases and building every team, all of their workflows, policies and procedures, points of contact in one singular organized area and having one source of truth because a lot of businesses I have seen have one the same document in five different versions and nobody knows which version is the accurate one. And so one singular source of truth is my number one, is having documentation and resources and providing equity to our audience. And also once they're out of training, I usually, again, depending on the difficulty level, I can schedule a person to shadow them, just to listen in, give them feedback. If you know they're doing something that's taking too long, not productive yeah, or efficient. And another thing is sometimes like we'll have a bay where reps can sit and take calls or, and this is obviously in person, but a trainer could be walking around to ensure extra support. And we've also sometimes implemented a support line where they can call into any leadership member, including training could answer and assist people in a timely manner. Oh, very cool. So you've got some like in the flow of work from solving kind of, yeah, initiatives in there as well. That's really interesting. I want to ask about hurdles in learning and the issues that you've come across in terms of implementing, recording, because I think a lot of the time we learn more from 
the mistakes or the things that didn't go well than we do from the things that did go well. So out of any of the examples you've given us, are there any any particular big hurdles or interesting things that you, you learned and changed for the future? Yeah, there's been plenty of those within my career. But the biggest thing I would say is it was earlier on in my career, but I was built is my first program that I ever built. And with that, I, I wasn't experienced enough to understand Kirkpatrick and learning methods and different audiences and DEI. And I just thought I did what was best. I did check in with individuals. They thought it was fine, but nobody understood the material at the end. And that's when I realized it's not them, it's me. Because if nobody's understanding in the room what's going on, obviously, the the yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I deliver my messaging a lot more clear. And that was a hard pill to swallow because I was early in my career. And so to me, that was a very um, humbling moment for me to realize that with L&D, the beautiful thing is we can have millions of ideas. To me, it's one of the most innovative industries to be in, but sometimes things just don't work. And for me, what I did is I just kept all my notes from that original course. And we had a post-mortem meeting with leadership. And I was just very honest with them of like, this was not successful. And this was me. I think the messaging wasn't detailed enough, not clear enough, not really telling a story versus just telling steps. And we just went back to the drawing board. I revamped it, made it way more engaging, <laughs> which is a part of our conversation. Because I think that was the other issue. And the results were tenfold. Like literally the scores were around 95% across the board. And I improved the documentation, the messaging, how we're going to explain this. And it was way more successful. And that was my big, like I said, turning point for me to understand learner styles, audiences, diversity. And that's when I started diving in deeper into my career. Interesting. Yeah, I guess how, yeah, how people remember and retain knowledge and the ways in which you need to use emotion or elicit people's interest in a creative way versus just giving them information, which as we all know, just doesn't really work that well. Yes, I've done some things in class that I never thought I would do, like rap and sing with people. Like we used to have phone codes in a call center I used to work in. And for some reason, new hires just always had a hard time remembering. So we made up a rhyme. And I don't know why it stuck with everybody and it actually spread all over the floor and people would be caught singing it. But I've, I've done things like that. I've told stories. I try to engage with the learner of what are what is their passions? Like just talk to them and in some conversation, like some students tell me they love music. So when I'm talking about a policy, I'll know, okay, let me relate this to music because they'll understand it way quicker. And yeah, you're anchoring it, you're giving them context that they are, yeah, that, that they yeah. can anchor it to. Very cool. Yeah. Very clever. Brilliant. So I like that. I'm not going to ask you to wrap the song for us, <laughs> even though I really want to. <laughs> that could be on our other podcast, maybe a rap and learning podcast that we'll come out with at some point in the future. You heard it here first. Cool. So final question. If you were starting in a new company where learning engagement was low, so you've been parachuted in and learning culture is quite poor as well, what would you do? How would you look at that? What would you, what are the first kind of steps you'd take? Yeah, I've actually experienced that in my career. And I do different levels as well, because I want to get the full story and all the context. And so I talk to senior leadership, HR, ER teams, get their scope and aspect of what needs to change or what they're witnessing. And then I also talk to, again, the people, the front line, the teams. And um, when I join a new company anyway, I like to network with them because I'm a new face in the L&D space. And so some teammates may be like, how are you going to train us or work with us when you don't know the policies? So sometimes I have to buy them over a little bit, have conversations, do networking or office hours to figure out from them, what do you need from a learning perspective? 
And then one thing I don't think enough companies look at is exit interviews. Training is mentioned a lot in these. So yes, I understand people leave leadership, they don't leave jobs, but there are other factors and training is mentioned a lot where they feel maybe they were trained too much or not enough. I've seen a lot of reports of not enough where they needed assistance and there was no training assistance available. And so when I look at those factors, that's when I start saying, okay, what can we do to change it? Maybe it's more, again, engaging items, workshops, career pathing, up-leveling, continuing education. And then what are we doing for our new members coming in? Because to me, recruiting and training is the face of the company. We are going to show employees how a company culture is. And yeah. if recruiting and training is not on point, that employee is going to be at huge risk for leaving the company and word of mouth spreads. And so that's why I take training very seriously and making it making sure every person leaves comfortable for their role and also happy and excited to start their new venture. Yeah, the importance of that onboarding piece cannot be understated because I interviewed someone recently, actually, and they said that they one of their one of their friends lost trust in a company that they'd just started a new job at. They were reasonably senior. It was a really good career move. And he'd asked for a second monitor to have at home because it was a remote position and had been turned down for it and was like within the first week. And instantly their kind of trust and respect for the company kind of evaporated and they, they left however many months later. But that was the trigger, interestingly. And it's exactly right. If you're a company that when somebody starts, you clearly care about their development, their training, you're putting them on pathways and there's, there's a lot of information and clearly made available to them. That's great and does an enormous job in terms of employee happiness and retention, doesn't it? Compared to someone who says no to a basic IT request. <laughs> right. So yeah, I try to make it very fun and welcoming and I want them to be excited because I know that a lot of new ladies that join companies, no matter what role you're going into, there is a level of fear and nervousness yeah. there. And so for me, I'm like, it's yes, it's about impact engagement, but for me, it's about the people and making sure that they're comfortable, that they're having fun and that they actually understand what we're talking about. And with training, I like to build relationships with each person too, because I want them to feel comfortable if they, that they can come to me and say, Britt, I don't understand this policy or I'm struggling, I need help. And so that is huge for me. And even my training team at my last employer, they were so excellent at that and making sure that people were comfortable and felt safe. Yeah, no, that's a really great point. You, the role is so much bigger. The training and learning development role is so much bigger than just teaching people a few things or getting them to be compliant in an area, isn't it? It's it's helping create an environment of psychological safety. It's it's a resource. It helps people, it helps retain employees. It helps progress them through the company into better leadership positions. It's yeah, it touches so many different areas. And actually, that's something I've been learning or has been reiterated to me as we've been recording this podcast series, actually just how wide reaching training, learning and development is in a business in terms of the different areas it covers. Yeah, a lot of individuals that are not in the L&D industry or know anyone in the L&D industry always would tell me, well, what do you do outside of just training? So a lot of individuals would think outside yeah. of training in a room, what do you do for your job? And so I love in educating those of like, we build knowledge bases, we have to send out communications, we do workshops, continuing education, like possibilities with training are really endless and limitless, but it also depends on the business need too. Some businesses move very fast. And so you have to be creative and innovative of how you reach audiences when there is no time to do a two hour training session. So I've been in those instances as well, but I would say for sure, 
one thing I would say with training that should change or L&D in general with businesses is sometimes training is important. To me, it's always important, right? But to some businesses, sometimes they'll say this is this doesn't have enough impact because they're looking at it from a numbers perspective versus the afterthought. So I'm like, if you give me this one hour, this is everything that can change in the next 30, 60, 90 days. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Brittany, thank you so much for coming on and chatting to us today. I think uh, there's some really useful, practical, interesting things, especially around onboarding and implementing new programs. So, so that was really useful. Where can people get hold of you if, if they'd like to follow you or find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. I am on LinkedIn all the time. So my name is Brittany Chamberlain on there and anybody can message me or add me. I check my LinkedIn multiple times a day. So I'll cool. be happy well, I'll, anyone. I'll put a link to your to your LinkedIn profile in the in the show notes if that's all right. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Cool. Brittany, we'll leave it there. I'll let you get on with the rest of your day. Thank you so much for chatting. And uh, yeah, that's all for today, everybody. We'll be back soon with another episode from the LD Challenges podcast. 